All right, guys, good morning. We are looking at Psalm 27 this morning and continuing our series called Walking with God as a Human Being through the Psalms. And what we've been seeing in the Psalms is how to deal with various emotions that we have as human beings. And sometimes those are super positive. We are ready to praise God. That's been the last two weeks. This week, we're dealing with an emotion that is very powerful that all of us feel. And sometimes it comes on us suddenly. And that is the emotion of fear. Now, I don't know about you, but for as long as I can remember, I have struggled with fear. One of the earliest memories I have was when my dad was explaining to me about how he almost got drafted into the Vietnam War, how he had a draft number. And I remember asking my dad, I was probably five or six years old, could I get drafted into a war someday? And I remember my dad saying, well, yeah, that could happen. And so I remember laying in bed as like a five or six-year-old kid and just running over in my mind like, I'm going to get drafted. I'm going to be on the front lines. I'm going to have a gun. I'm going to get shot. I'm going to die. And being just gripped with this fear for years that's that, that that's what would happen. Fear is when we imagine a future that is terrible without God in it. And when we imagine that future, the power of that emotion causes us to think that all hope is lost. And what we're going to see in this text in the Bible is thankfully that as Christians, our hope in Jesus will outlast our fears. It's not that our fears aren't legitimate or couldn't happen. It's that there's a hope that is greater than our fear. So the first thing we're going to see in the text in verses 1 through 3 is the legitimacy of your fears. A little counterintuitive point to start. It says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. Now, I don't know about you, but when I start off reading that text, I hope that it will read, the Lord is my light and sal my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord of, is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And then it would be, there's nothing to be afraid of. But that's not what he says. He says, the Lord is a stronghold in my life. He's my light and my salvation. Of whom shall I be afraid? And then he lists all the things that he's the most afraid of. I'm like, oh no. And the things that he has to be afraid of are both numerous and absolutely terrifying. Remember, at this point, David is in the army. And he's saying, when evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh... What's he saying? I'm on the battlefield, 
and there is a cannibalistic army on the other side. Not only could we be defeated in this battle, but I could end up laying there dead, having my enemies literally eating me. Then he says, there's this army encamping against me. There is war rising. Here's what David is facing. My five-year-old worst nightmare. But it's actually happening in front of his eyes. And he's saying, here's what's true about your worst fear. The reason that you fear it is because it could happen. Our confidence is not that trouble will not come our way. Jesus, in fact, said, in this world, you will have trouble. He didn't say, take heart, I'm going to take away all your trouble. He said, take heart, I have overcome the world. And the psalmist is saying the same thing here. Our confidence is not that our worst fear won't come true. It's that we will have a stronghold and a salvation even if it does come true. Our confidence is in the even if statement. That's how you talk to your fears. So even if that does happen, I know that God will walk me through it. You know, Job said an ominous thing. You know, Job's life got completely train wrecked. He lost his health. He lost a good portion of his family. He lost his wealth. All the things that we fear losing. And he said this sentence, what I feared has come upon me. What I dreaded has happened to me. Don't we think sometimes that by fearing something, we can manipulate God out of allowing it to happen in our lives. You can't manipulate God. Our hope is that our fears are legitimate, but even if we walk through them, God will be our stronghold. Which maybe on the surface doesn't feel like good news, but... I think in all of our experience, as we face different fears, it can make all the difference. I think of one time when I was in high school that as a claustrophobic person, I ended up agreeing to crawling through small caves in southern Indiana. Do you know why I did that? Because one of my youth leaders at the time was a guide who took people through the caves. And he told me up front, he said, listen, As a claustrophobic person, this is going to be terrifying. But I promise you that I'll get you through. And so I agreed to go. And at one point, I was in this cave with a hard hat on, standing, pinning my legs between two walls of the cave, and the cave was so skinny at the top that my head in the helmet, got wedged in the cave. But my feet were three feet off the ground. 
So I'm like wedged and I'm like saying to my youth leader, Matt, I'm like, Matt, little help here. Like, and I'm starting to panic, right? And he was behind me. And so I just remember, he's like, okay, Drew, just, just hold on. And he took his fist like a hammer and just started banging the back of my helmet. And, and my head got unwedged from that spot. At another point, he had a stop in this small passage in the cave. And he's like, hey, this is really fun. Everybody, turn off your headlamp and let's be quiet for a few minutes. And I remember just being like, after like two minutes, I'm like, okay, can we turn our headlamps back on? (laughs) But here's the thing, I'm so glad that I have the experience of having been through that cave because of the guide that was leading me. Here's what God is saying to us through this text. I am not going to lead you on an easy path. I am going to lead you sometimes directly through your deepest fear. But I promise you this, I will be with you. I will hear your voice. I will protect you. I will be your stronghold, maybe not from physical danger, but those fears cannot have your soul. I will protect what lasts forever. Okay, so that's what we see, the legitimacy of our fears, the worst things that we fear could happen to us, but Jesus will be with us. The second thing we see in the text is the anecdote to your fears. Psalm 27, four through six, he says, one thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. He says, one thing have I asked of the Lord, one thing I will seek after. Now let's pause there. How would you honestly fill in that sentence? Would you say the one thing that I've asked for is that God would keep my kids healthy and safe? The one thing that I've asked God for is that he would provide a spouse for me. The one thing that I've asked for is that I would be able to find a high-paying job that I love. The one thing that I've asked for is that I wouldn't get cancer. I've just asked one thing. Come on, God can do anything. What's wrong with the one thing that I'm asking for? Here's what David is teaching us. Whatever you fill in that blank with will control your life. Because here's the thing, we all intuitively know that we can lose our health, we can lose our kids, we could never get married, we could lose our spouse, we could lose our job. And so if you trace back your fears 
to their root, you get to your idols. You fear losing what is most precious to you. See, the anecdote to your fear is not avoidance, convincing yourself that those things could never happen to you, that you could never lose what is most precious to you. It is making the most precious thing to you what you could never lose. And so David is saying, one thing have I asked from the Lord that I will seek after, that I could gaze at the beauty of the Lord. Do you see what he's saying? God is no longer there because he's useful to me, because he gives me what I want. God is beautiful to me. What I most want is him. What I most want is to see him. What I most want is to know him. What I most want is to delight in him. What I most want is to treasure him. And he's saying, listen, this is the anecdote to your fears because then your greatest fear will become losing the beauty of the Lord, which can never be lost. And your trials will drive you to the face of God. you'll see that not only can your current worst fear not take away what is most precious, it will actually help bring you closer to what is most precious. That's the purpose of your trials. It reframes your entire perspective. What if the purpose of your life is not to enjoy your life but the purpose of your life is to know God, to gaze at his beauty. Now, we don't use that language of gazing at somebody's beauty very often. We only use it when we're talking about romantic relationships. And I can't help but talk about my wife when I see that word in the text, my wife, Melissa. I remember when I was first falling in love with Melissa, there was this dining facility in the center of, the university I was going to. And that was the place where I would see Melissa from afar when I was first dating her. And I remember just sitting there eating and there was a certain door that she always came in. And I would position myself to see the door. And it was like the highlight of my day just to see that girl walk in and from the moment she was like, I could see her just outside because the doors were transparent, you know, and I'd see her walk in and I would just watch her walk all the way. And then finally she'd be meeting with somebody else and she'd look over at me, give me that look. It was like, yes, <laughs> this is amazing. Why was I looking at Melissa? Because she was useful to me? No, she was beautiful to me. God is saying, listen, I want you to have that type of relationship with me, where you just wake up and you want to be with me. You want to know me. Why does God want to have that type of relationship with me? Because he's like a anxious teenage girl who wants a boyfriend? No, because God 
has first loved us and he wants the relationship to be reciprocal. God is gazing at you as a sinful person and he's saying, would you look back at me? Would you see me? Would you see that I love you and I want to know you? It is only as we grow in that relationship that our fear will diminish, not because their possibility diminish, but because they're put in their proper perspective. And we'll begin to say to life, bring it on, because God is with me. And no matter what I go through, he is beautiful and he is enough. Look what Psalm 103 verse 17 says. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. That is an anchor for our soul. Here's what you can count on if you fear losing the beauty of God is that you will never lose it because unlike everything else that you fear losing, it is from everlasting to everlasting. That is something you can count on that will never change. If you wake up and ask God, do you love me every day? The answer will always be yes. And the mystery of the gospel is that it has always been so. He loved you before you were born. He's always loved you. Okay, so we see the legitimacy of our fears, the anecdote to our fears. And finally, our great hope, which is the end of all of our fears. Look at Psalm 27, verses 12 through 14. It says, Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. You, know, you notice that in the midst of these trials that David's going for, there is both a temporary prayer and an eternal hope. First, the temporary prayer. He still prays, give me not up to the will of my adversaries. Like, I don't want these cannibalistic people in the other army to defeat me and eat me. That's a legitimate prayer. Right? I'm not saying that we're masochists as Christians and that we're somehow just like, bring it on to all the trials. Like, give me as many as you possibly can, God. We're not crazy. We still pray and we ask God that he would limit suffering and relieve us of suffering and we lay it before his fatherly heart and his sovereign will and we trust him with it, believing that yes would be nice, but no is also an adequate answer. Knowing this, that our hope does not rest in a pain-free life. We can pray with confidence because we know that we are currently in a broken world that is far from perfect, and it is not God's plan for whatever reason, to instantaneously make it so. So we pray, 
And then we dream. Because the reason that we have a longing for a pain-free place where there is nothing to legitimately fear is because that's what we were made for. And that is where we're going. Look what the psalmist says. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Isn't that such an apt way of putting it? He longs to look upon the Lord in the land of the living. Look, he's like, I've been gazing upon the beauty of the Lord in the land of the dead. And he is beautiful and he is steadfast and he is the same, but I'm looking forward to a day when I can look at him without the possibility of anything bad happening around me. And he's confident as he's camping and looking at this other army that one day wars will cease. One day tears will be wiped away. One day no battlefields, no blood, no dead children, no divorce, no disease, nothing to fear. Everything made new, everything made right. The reason we're dealing with fear and insecurity in this life is because we are walking through a land of death. And we were made for eternal life. We were made to be with God forever there. And so what's our perspective now? How do we get through this next 20, 30, 40, 50 years of our lives without going nuts and driving everybody nuts around us? How do we walk through with buoyancy and faith and joy? We have to see that our trials in the present are preparation for our eternity, not punishment for something that we've done. Now that changes the perspective on everything. I was reminded of that this last week because my family spent this last week at family camp. And prior to family camp, there's a lot of preparation because we've got to get sleeping bags and sheets and towels and laundry baskets full of things in the back of the 2010 Honda Odyssey minivan. And there's lots of work. But I'm often contrasting the kid's attitude toward preparation for family camp with doing chores on a daily basis. Doing chores on a daily basis feels like punishment. So the kids are like, I don't want to do this. This stinks. I want to be outside playing with my friends. I hate this. Why do I have to do this? Occasionally, it takes everything in me to not just go off in these moments. One of my kids is asked to do a very small task, and they'll say something like, I have to do everything (laughs) around here. Like, yeah, it's tough. (laughs) Carrying your three pieces of laundry to your room. 
but right, they feel like it's punishment. But when we're going to family camp, they know that it's preparation. So they're like, whistle while you work. It's like everything's perfect. The birds are chirping. We're like in perfect unison, making an assembly line to the van and everything's going in its exact spot. And everyone's grabbing their backpack. Dad, may I help you? May I? You know, it's like, what happened? You transformed into a totally different person. Why? The tasks didn't change. What changed? The perspective. They know where they're going to a place that they love. And as Christians, we know the purpose of this and we have clarity on where we're going, which changes everything. And so our heart posture goes from grumbling to anticipation. We wait for the Lord. Do you know, the Bible says that Jesus is going to come like a thief in the night. People will be getting married, they'll be at parties, they'll be at work, they'll be having fun, and Jesus could come back at any moment. We ought to be living our lives with that kind of anticipation. Every day is the day that Jesus could come back, which gives us buoyancy, and it gives us hope, and it gives us courage to keep on enduring. Because who likes to wait? Here's how Ray Ortland describes the waiting of the Christian life. We don't like patient waiting. Amazon Prime is counting on us being impatient, but it is those who wait on the Lord who renew their strength. The medieval rabbi David Kimchi explained that the Hebrew word wait suggests stretching, lengthening, extending, So waiting on the Lord is not like resting in a hammock with a glass of iced tea. It's like holding a plank position until our coach tells us we're done. But that place of unresolved tension is spiritually creative and surprisingly refreshing. Our strength is renewed. So we fight on and we will prevail because the Lord will come through for us. The application of this message is simple. I think it's a prayer. God, would you fill my heart with courage to keep on waiting? Because I know that you will come through for me as my guide through all the various trials that I will go through in my life. And ultimately, one day, I will gaze upon your beauty in the land of the living. Let's pray. Father, I long for that day when surrounded by my brothers and sisters in Christ with no tears in our eyes, we will see you face to face. Your glory will shine brighter than the sun. We will know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are loved and that nothing bad can ever happen again. God, it hurts to long for that in such a good way.
And I pray for that person who came in this morning and they are walking on the edge. They're, they're sad. They're in the midst of a trial that feels like something strange is happening to them. They feel like you're absent. They don't experience your hand and your guidance. God, would you show them your beauty even during this next song? That you are here with them, that you are for them, that you are preparing them, not punishing them. And would there be some buoyancy in their soul and some courage to take the next step? I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.